It was an hour later that Gibbons, the lawyer, parked his roadster and walked along a quiet street at the outskirts of the city. His movements were quick, eager. There was a strange, restless brightness in his eyes. The silence of the night was punctured by the shrill cry of a newsboy, peddling an early morning edition. Gibbons bought a paper, and the restlessness in his eyes deepened as he stared at the front page. Black headlines were spread across it. They told of another mysterious torture murder, a millionaire's son found dead in his penthouse apartment, his face eaten away by acid. Somewhere down the block a police siren sounded, and a green roadster whirled by. Gibbons, watching from the shadows, recognized the man in it, a detective from the homicide squad. Murder seemed to whisper through the darkness of the night. Menace lay like a pall over the city. The lawyer's pace increased. Once he paused in his swift stride to press a hand to the left side of his chest, an old wound, received on a battlefield in the World War, had given him a momentary twinge of pain. A harsh laugh fell from his lips. Years ago the doctors had predicted that he had only a few months to live— but he had gone on living, defying death. Perhaps it was this closeness to death that made him so restless, or perhaps it was something else. He reached a wealthy residential section at length. The river flowed beside him. Millionaires' homes and expensive apartment buildings rose at his right. At the corner of the block he stopped. A high wall followed the line of the side street. A huge pile of masonry, bleak and austere, towered above the sidewalk, the windows of it boarded up. It was the old Montgomery mansion, facing the river, the house that the litigation of heirs, quarreling about the estate, had kept empty for years. Its luxurious rooms were gathering dust now. Mice moved unmolested across its polished floors. Moths were nibbling at the expensive rugs. The man who called himself Gibbons turned and walked down the side street. There was no one in sight. He followed the wall as silently as a shadow— A few gaunt shrubs that had not been properly tended for years made a sparse fringe along the wall. Suddenly the man stopped. He parted two shrubs and stepped behind them. His hands moved in the darkness for an instant. An old door leading into the ancient garden swung open. The door closed softly behind him. He was in a place of ruin, decay, and desolation, with the teeming life of the city shut away. Under the glow of the sky overhead he picked his way through the garden— past statues fallen from their pedestals, past a tumble-down summer-house, past a fountain that had long since ceased to spray moisture. He appeared to be at home, appeared to know where he was going, appeared to belong there. He came to the rear of the house, lifted the cover of the cellar door, and descended a flight of stone steps. A key grated in the lock. In a moment he was inside. Then he paused by another door in a rear room of the old cellar. Flashing a tiny electric light, he pried loose a piece of paneling and stared intently at a hidden dial. A clock-like mechanism behind the dial moved a cylinder of paper slowly like the drum of a seismograph. There was a stylus poised over the paper. It recorded blows and footfalls. The paper drum was blank, showing that for the last twenty-four hours no one had passed through the hidden passageway behind the door that led down to the black waters of the river. The man nodded in satisfaction. He moved up into the house, to a room that was hidden beneath the huge front staircase. It was in reality the false back of the old butler's pantry. The partition had been expertly moved forward, and a door into the secret chamber was concealed by shelves that swung outward. 
Here the man who had made the house his home could be as much shut away from the world as though he were in the black depths of a vault. There were strange things in that secret room—a small chemical and photographic laboratory, jars, bottles, and mysterious boxes, a miniature arsenal containing humane but efficient weapons, gas pistols that could knock a man unconscious within a radius of twenty feet, tiny, stupefying darts concealed in cigarette lighters— a concentrated tear-bomb in the stem of a watch that would momentarily blind a man when he stooped to look at the time. There was also a mirror at the side of the wall under strong lights. It had three movable sides that would show every angle of a man's face, head, and body. Gibbons walked up to it and stood regarding himself. Then he moved away and seated himself at a